Hey man, man. Well, good morning. Good to see y'all, and good morning to everyone that's online today. We will be uh, continuing our study of the book of Ephesians. And many uh, scholars call Ephesians chapter 1 the diamond of the New Testament. It's like a diamond. It's multifaceted with different cuts and different angles. And we see uh, God's love presented to us and we see uh, various benefits. One scholar said this. He says, the work of Christ is so multifaceted that it cannot be captured in a single word nor summarized in a single, single formula. It is like a, a diamond with its different grooves and angles. And so today we're going to dive into uh, this theological diamond, uh, Ephesians chapter 1. But before we go any further, let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty and matchless sons, Jesus' name. God, we pray that you would speak to us through your word. I pray that your word would be more precious to us than silver and gold and more precious to us than a literal diamond, God. I pray that you would allow us to see the beauty of your word that you've spoken to us. God, minister to your people today. You know what they need. You know their longings. You know their hurts. You know their aspirations. And Father God, I pray that you just would minister to, uh, minister to them and meet them where they are. God, I pray that you would move me out of the way, that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of in the lives of your people. God, we thank you for the gift of your word. It's in your son, Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. In the 1994 classic, The Lion King, a young lion, we got some Lion King fans out there. In the 1994 classic, Lion King, well, you guys know this, a young lion by the name of Simba is experiencing a bit of an identity crisis. He has forgotten who he is. And he runs into this, this sage monkey by the name of Rafiki, and he says, who are you? And Rafiki asks uh, Simba the question. He turns it back on him. He says, no, who are you? And, and he says, I don't know who I am anymore. And then Rafiki says, I know who you are. You are Mufasa's boy. See, Mufasa was the king, and therefore Simba, his son, was a child of the king. And he had all of the rights and privileges of being a child of the king. As a matter of fact, he was, a, he was supposed to inherit the throne and, and soon become the king himself. But he had forgotten who he is. Later on in the story, uh, Simba finds himself face-to-face -face with a vision of his deceased father. And his deceased father is speaking to him, and he says, Simba, you have forgotten who you are. You are my son, and you have forgotten who you are. You have forgotten who you are, and you have forgotten who I am. And, and, and Simba's like, no, you don't understand. You don't understand. I've messed up. You don't understand. He was like, remember who you are. And James Earl Jones is the one saying this. He's Mufasa. He has this mighty uh, rumbling voice. So you got to hear in James Earl Jones's voice, remember who you are. Identity matters a lot. Who we are matters a lot because who we are determines what we do. And there's a lot of conversation these days about identity. This is a big conversation even in the culture. There's a lot of uh, questions and conversations about uh, gender identity and ethnic identity and national identity and self-esteem and self 
worth. Uh, this concept of identity matters a lot to us because who we are determines what we do. Who we are determines where we are accepted and, or who we are determines maybe even where we are rejected. Who we are matters. And generally, we try to find identity in one of two ways. Th these are two common ways that we gain identity. Either identity is achieved or identity is received. Identity can be achieved and, we, and, and it can be achieved through some kind of status, through completing something, through quote unquote becoming someone. This is getting the degree, getting the job, getting the promotion. Uh, being the best parent, uh, being the best child, being the best student, and we can try to uh, achieve an identity. But here's the thing about an achieved identity. The achieved identity or the achieved ego can be very, very fragile. And we know this. The achieved identity can be very, very fragile. What if we're not the best? What if we lose that position? What if someone is more pretty, more intelligent, more smart, more creative? And because of that, we can be very, very fragile when we have an achieved identity because we know that it can be lost. We know that it can be taken because we've achieved it and we've achieved it. And what if someone else achieves it? Deep in our hearts, we don't want an achieved identity. What our hearts truly desire is to receive an identity and be affirmed by someone that we admire. For example, the, the, the achieved identity is like, it's like the young lady who buys herself flowers on Valentine's Day and get flowers sent to herself. Sure, the flowers are nice and pretty, but those flowers would have meant more if they would have come from someone that she admired. Or, or the achieved identity is like the father who buys himself the hat that says husband of the year. That would have meant a lot more if it came from someone else, not himself. What we, what we truly desire is to have someone speak over us and to speak into us. And when we have those voices from people that we admire and respect speaking into us, then we have some kind of a, a identity formation take place. And so you have the achieved identity and you have the received identity. And the reality is even the best affirmation from a, another human can only do so much. Another person's voice, another human's voice, though it's helpful, can only do so much. So, where do we go for identity? The scriptures would tell us to do something kind of countercultural here. The culture says, look in the mirror and look really hard and find yourself and take a bunch of personality tests. And that's cool. I like personality tests. That's cool. I'm an Enneagram four wing three, if that means something to anybody, right? <laughs> I see another four in the house. And, and, and so you can take little tests like that and figure out who you are in some ways. But there's a deeper reality of who you are. And to truly discover who we are, we must first look not into the mirror. You can try to create something and make an identity and dress yourself in the mirror and find an identity, but 
True identity comes from first looking up. One, one scholar says it like this. He says, man never achieves a clear knowledge of himself unless he has first looked upon God's face and then descends. It begins by looking at our creator. It, it, it begins by looking at the one who, who made us and being able to see who he is and being able to understand his worth and allowing, allowing his words to wash over us. In Christ, you have both an achieved and a received identity in Christ. Here's how. Christ achieves identity for us by dying on the cross for our sins and resurrecting from the grave. And he gives us the identity of children of God. We receive an identity from Christ that he achieved and he paid a high price for that identity. For you to be a child of God, to you, for you to be seen as children of God, Christ had to die. So he achieved it and then you received it. It's kind of like this. Any sports fans in the house? Anybody watch sports in here? All right. It's kind of like, uh, and this is how you have an achieved and received identity. It's kind of like uh, the player on the Golden State Warriors who gets injured and doesn't get to play in any games, doesn't get to practice, but he's on the roster. So when the Golden State Warriors won the championship this year, even though he didn't play a game, even though he didn't practice, he is still a champion. Now, Steph Curry achieved that out there shooting threes. Steph Curry achieved that, that for him. But he also, for the rest of his life, he gets to tell his children and his grandchildren that I am an NBA champion. He receives that identity and someone else actually achieved it. Though he was on the team, he was sitting on the bench. And, th and theoretically, in Christ, he achieves much for us. Even though we're sitting on the bench, we add nothing to our salvation. And we receive a great identity in Christ. In Christ, we have an achieved and a received identity. And we discover more about this in Ephesians chapter 1. As we said earlier, Ephesians chapter 1 has been said to be the diamond of the New Testament because we see the multifaceted love of God and the different angles of God's love in our life. And in Ephesians 1, we see the unpacking of our, of our identity. So I want to go to that Ephesians chapter 1. And Paul is speaking to the Ephesians, the church at Ephesus. He says, praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. So let's go back to that first part. It says, praise be to God. This, this passage is a run-on sentence. Paul is so excited. He, he can't help but get these words out of him. This is a run-on sentence, and it begins with excitement. He begins by saying, praise be to God. And so uh, he, he begins, he's about to tell them about them and who they are, and he's about to explain their identity, but he begins with praise be to God. And we see this throughout the passage. In, in chapter 6, again, he says, praise God. And in chapter, I mean, in verse 6, he says, uh, praise God. In verse 12, he says, praise God. And in verse 14, he says, praise God. So in this passage, it, it, this passage is dripping with joy. And Paul is saying, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. What are you so excited about, Paul? Why are you writing this run-on sentence? Why, what, what are you so excited about? And the next part of this verse explains it. It says, praise be the God and the Father of Lord Jesus Christ, who 
has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We've been blessed with, with, with every spiritual blessing. That means uh, that God, when he, when he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for the sins of the world, and when Christ finished his work on the cross and resurrected from the dead, his followers inherited blessings that now exist in heaven. Your blessings in Christ have spiritual and eternal implications that have started already. There are blessings stored up for you in places that you haven't even been yet because of what Christ did on the cross. And the reality of those blessings start now. So that's why Paul is so excited. Praise be to God. Praise be to God. Because there's nothing that you did or, or, or deserve, but praise be to God who has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. God has given us much. And we might know this, we might intellectually be able to say, yes, I know that I've been blessed in Christ and, and God has uh, given me every spiritual blessing. But sometimes we can know it intellectually. We can know it up here, but it doesn't quite get to our heart yet. It doesn't quite matter to us yet. Uh, it's kind of like the, the young lady who was struggling with her identity and her father said, but God loves you. I know you're struggling with your identity, but God loves you. And she says, I know that God's, God loves me, but, but the boy in my class doesn't think I'm pretty. What, what about that? So it's up here intellectually, but it hadn't made it to her heart yet to where it affects her reality. It's like, it's like the man who was struggling with his identity and his friend says, but God loves you. And he says, I know that God loves me, but I've been out of a job for six months and no job will call me back. I feel like the biggest loser in the world today. And the reality, it's up here, but the reality of who God is hasn't quite hit the heart yet. And so my prayer for you today, as we, as we get ready to unpack these spiritual blessings that God has given, given us, that it would move from here in your head to here in your heart, that the reality of who you are would be real. And as Mufasa told Simba, uh, I hope and pray that you will remember who you are. Has anybody ever been moving and you had this box that you packed away, and it was, a, it was a bunch of stuff in that box, and you forgot what was in that box. You just put it away in the storage, or you put it away in the attic, and you forgot you had stuff in there. As a matter of fact, you forgot stuff was in there, so you went to Target or Meyer and you bought duplicates of the stuff that you already got because you had it stored up, but you hadn't taken it out and looked at it lately. Well, that's what it can be like with us in the spiritual blessings that God has given us. We, we store them away. They have dust on them. We hadn't looked at them lately, and we've forgotten what we have, and we can sometimes forget who we are. So today, we're just going to unpack some of those blessings. We're going to unpack the blessings of God. And the question I have for you is, have you unboxed the blessings of God lately? Have you unboxed the blessings of God lately and looked at who you truly are in Christ? Or have you been trying to achieve an identity and strive for identity as opposed to reflecting and accepting who God has already made you? So let's unpack 
some of this. What's in here? What do we have in this thing? What, what kind of blessings has God given us? What do we have? Let's look. Let's look. This looks like a good one. You are chosen. That's a part of your identity in Christ. You are, you are chosen. That, that means that God picked you. He selected you. He, he, he chose you. He thought about you and picked you. That means that you did not choose him. You did not choose God. You did not go searching for God and finding God. No, God chose you. And if you are in Christ, that is good to know because sometimes we can feel like, man, I don't feel worthy today. I don't feel worth the, God, the worth the love of God today. And it's good to be reminded that, my child, you never chose God, but God chose you. We see this in Ephesians 1. It says, for he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight in love. He chose us in him. Some of us might not feel chosen. We all know what it feels like to, to not be to, to not be picked, to be looked over. But in Christ, we're always chosen. And that's one of the gifts that we can meditate on and reflect on. We can reflect on the fact that God has chosen me. And even if I don't feel worthy today, I'm chosen. I, I don't have to hold on to him. He's holding on to me because I'm chosen. What's else, what else is in here? What else do we have? Oh, this is a good one. We are predestined. We are predestined. Not, not only did he choose us, but he has a plan for our lives. That means no matter how bad it gets, you can be assured of the fact that God has a plan. Even the darkness that you're experiencing that darkness is held in the hands of God. Even chaos, when you experience chaos in this life, it's controlled chaos because God has a plan for your life. He brought you into this world. He, he chose you and he's going to guide you until he guides you home. Let's see what Ephesians has to say about that. It says, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. That means he wanted to do it and he willed to do it. So he didn't, cho he didn't choose you and was like, uh, I guess nobody else left. All right, you are my team. I I've seen that happen before on the playgrounds. Like, yeah, I, I guess I got to pick you. No, he chose you in accordance with his pleasure and his will. He, he has a plan for your life. Your life is in his hands. Your life is not an accident. And you are not an accident. You are predestined. And that's something to remind yourself from time to time. What else do we have here? We're, we're, we're chosen. We're predestined. Oh, yeah. We're adopted. We're chosen, predestined, adopted. God has made us his children with all of the rights and privileges of sonship. Ephesians 1 uh, further explains, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. He predestined us in accordance with his, his pleasure and his will. 
we are his adopted children. In ancient Ephesus, when a child was adopted into a family, that child received all of the rights and privileges uh, that the biological children received. There was, this is no second class thing here. The reality is though, God does have one biological child. That biological natural child is Jesus Christ. So that's his one natural child. Everyone else is adopted. And I'm here to tell you that's a beautiful thing. That's a wonderful privilege for God to call you his child. So in moments where you might not feel like a child of God, Remind yourself that in Christ, you are adopted. And this is a wonderful gift. What else do we have here? That's some good stuff. Sometimes we just got to unpack it and remind ourselves about these things. Oh, we are redeemed. We are redeemed. In Christ, we are redeemed. This word redeemed means to be bought back. It's when you lose something and you get it back. Anybody ever lost something and, and, got, and found something and, and then you're like so excited because that thing that you lost, you have now found? Well, in Christ, we are redeemed. I have a crazy story to share with you. Um, uh, several years ago, my wife Ashley uh, was at a restaurant and she lost, well, she didn't lost, someone stole her phone. Someone stole her phone at this restaurant and it was a mess. We're looking at cameras at the restaurant, trying to see who might have taken it. Uh, we think it was the waiter, but we couldn't, we couldn't ever really land, but we knew someone stole her phone. So on the iPhone, there's something called the Find Your iPhone app. It's, a, it's essentially a tracking device for your phone. It allows you to track your phone when you don't have it. And so we turned on that tracking device on the Find Your iPhone app one day. And the phone was about 20 minutes away from us in another neighborhood. So I thought of the probably not so bright idea to, to go to that neighborhood and, and find the phone. True story, uh, me and my best friend, we're like, okay, we're about to go get this phone for Ashley. We get in the car, we're driving, I'm driving. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know how good of an idea this is. Uh, but we, we get there, we do have a police escort with us. So we get there and this brilliant individual who took the phone turned the tracking device off. Uh, so by the time we made it there, we were kind of blank again and we couldn't go into that house because you can't just go kicking somebody's house uh, looking for an iPhone. And so we were lost. A uh, couple days go by, and we're at a party with my friends. We're at a barbecue hanging out, and boom, I get a notification. The phone is back on again. I, I stop everything. I'm like, we're about to leave this event. We're about to go get that phone. Probably not the brightest idea again. And so it's, it's, it's nighttime. It's about 9 o'clock, and uh, we drive, and we see where uh, the iPhone is. It's at a pawn shop. So whoever stole it had now pawned it, and the pawn shop was closed. And so uh, a day goes by. I go back with the police again as my escort. I walk into this pawn shop. I say, I'm looking for a rose gold iPhone. Do you have it? He's like, they don't even make rose gold iPhones. I said, yes, they do. And there's a rose gold iPhone to him somewhere. And so I ping it, bing, and I hear it in the back. He's like, oh, there is a rose gold iPhone back here. And then, so I get the iPhone and I redeem it. We had gotten it back. That iPhone was redeemed. 
God is far more passionate about pursuing his, his people and his lost sheep than I am about pursuing an iPhone. But that's how he pursues us. He comes after us and, and until we are redeemed, until we are bought back. He orchestrates events and he brings people into our lives and allows things to happen that, that, that lead us back to him. And Ephesians 1 tells us this, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of his grace. He finds us, he seeks us out, he searches us out, and he brings us back to him. In Christ, we have redemption. We are redeemed. What a wonderful, wonderful gift. What else do we have here? So we're redeemed, and then also we are forgiven. And this is, this is a big one. In Christ, we are forgiven. He gives us this gift of forgiveness. We're not forgiven uh, because of what we do. We're not forgiven uh, because of anything that's in us. We are forgiven by the blood of Christ. And this is the gift of being a child of God. And sometimes it's important to remind yourself of this, that in Christ, I am forgiven. And we see it here. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. We, we, we come into this world sinful at birth, and God forgives us, not because of what we've done, but because of Christ's finished work on the cross. And as we place our faith in him, he gets our sinful, messy record, and we get his perfect record, and we are forgiven. That is our status. We are forgiven children of God, not because of our efforts, but because of the work of Christ. What else do we have here? Oh, we are sealed. We are sealed. And in, ancient, in the ancient world and in ancient Ephesus, when this, when this letter was written, when a, when a king, a monarch, some kind of ruler wanted to uh, uh, stamp his possession of something, when, when he wanted to put his stamp on a thing, he would stamp it with a seal, and that was his way of saying, this is mine. Uh, essentially, it was like a logo that that would be stamped on something, that was the seal, and that seal was, was that person's way of saying, this is mine. God has stamped his people with the seal of the Holy Spirit, and as we receive the Holy Spirit inside of us, that's God's way of saying, this is mine. Let's look at what it says in the text. It says, when you believed, you were marked in him, with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. In other words, in the, in the words of the great theologian Stevie Wonder, sign, seal, delivered, I'm yours. God says, sign, seal, delivered, you are mine. You've been marked with the Holy Spirit, you are mine. This is, this is who you are. You just have to remind yourself of, of this sometime. What else we have here? Oh, this one. We have an inheritance. We are an heir to an inheritance. That means that, 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 that there are riches stored up for you in heaven. That this isn't all that you get on this side of eternity. God is storing up blessings for you in eternity. And you are an heir to that. You have something to look forward to. We see it here again in Ephesians 1.13. When you believed... You are marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance 
and to the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. And so that's why Paul says, praise God, praise God, praise God, praise God. Do you know who you are? You are, you are chosen, you are predestined, you are adopted, you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you are sealed, and you are an heir to an inheritance. That's worth praising God for. So that's why Paul is so excited. Praise God, praise God, praise God, and praise God. And you receive all of this in Christ. All of these blessings are given to you in Christ. Not because of you, but because of Christ in you. So you are all of these things because you are in Christ. Let's, let's look at what it means to be in Christ. So initially, God created a relationship with humanity And this is you. You are his child. You are his creation. God created uh, the world and he created humanity. And this is you. And this is me. But something happened. Sin entered into the world. Man sinned against God. And there was a separation. And so because of that, according to Colossians, I mean, according to Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And sin now is in us. We inherit this sin nature. It's kind of a tough spot to be. Apart from Christ, this is where we are. Sin is in us. And if that isn't, if that isn't bad enough, uh, Ephesians 2.1 tells us, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins. So if that isn't enough, uh, sin is in you and you're in sin. And this is this is a tough spot to be in. Before Christ, this is where we find ourselves. We're in trouble. We can't get out of this on our own. There's no, there's no getting out of this. We're, we're, we're in trouble. Before Christ enters into our story, sin is in us and we're in sin. But, but something amazing happens. Once we put our faith in, faith in Christ, God washes away our sin. He removes the sin from us and he gives us a new identity and now sin isn't in you he, he removes that he gives you a new heart and now Christ is in you Galatians 2:20 says that I've been crucified with Christ now it's no longer I live but Christ who lives in me this is a beautiful thing. And now, uh, when it, where, what was a desperate situation with you and sin and sin and you because of Christ, Christ is in you and you are in Christ. That's a pretty secure identity. This is what Christ accomplishes for us. But that's not where it stops. Because of what God does for us through Christ. Colossians 3.3 tells us that we are hidden in God. And this is your identity as a child of God. Christ is in you, you are in Christ, and you are hidden in God. So you are not your job. You are not your performance as a parent. You are not your performance as a spouse. 
You are not the approval and the opinions of others. You are not a political party. You are not any of these things that we can try to find our identity in. You're not your hobbies. You're not any of these things. This is who you are. We just have to remember who we are. And with that comes all of these blessings in Christ. So you are chosen, you're predestined, you're adopted, sealed, you're forgiven, you're redeemed, and you are an heir to an inheritance. And this is who you are in Christ. And John 14, 20 explains this so well. John 14, 20 says, In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. This is signed, sealed, delivered. You are his. And when you forget, amen, and when you forget, I just want to encourage you with something very practical. Remind yourself of these things. These are good things to meditate on. This is, I was talking to a gentleman earlier who said he and a friend have been studying Ephesians 1 and they just read it every day. Uh, they've been doing that for the past few weeks. They said they just read it every day to remind themselves of who they are. So you might not do that. You might do something different. But this is, uh, this is good truth to remind yourself that I am not all these other things. I am his. And I just want to leave you with this. In Christ, we have an identity that cannot be taken and a position that cannot be lost. In Christ, we have an identity that cannot be taken and a position that cannot be lost. Jobs can be lost. Positions on boards can be lost. Positions on teams can be lost. But your identity in Christ cannot be lost. You are secure in him. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your son Jesus' name. God, I, I pray for those under the sound of my voice who do not know you. I pray that they would stop trying to achieve an identity and that you would show them the beauty of a received identity, the relief of a received identity. And I pray that you will remind us here now who we are in you. God, help us to remember who you are. Make this practical and make this real for us. As we're going through the busyness of, busyness of life, as we're, we're going through the challenges of life, Father God, remind us of who we are in you. Remind us that we are yours. It's in your son Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.